Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 208, episode 4 of Your Daily Zeitgeist, yeah. a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness, and it's Thursday, November 4th, 2021. And so I know what that means. You know what that means. But, Miles, why don't you tell them what international day we're dealing with? Oh, if you didn't know, it's November 4th. That means National Men Make Dinner Day. Coming off the heels of National Housewives Day is also National Chicken Lady Day and National Cashback Day. Don't know what any, I don't know what the fuck Chicken Lady Day. Chicken Lady? Who is that for? It's honoring Dr. Martinia Tina Dupree. For 12 years, she worked as the second largest chicken. Worked for the second largest chicken restaurant in the world. Okay, okay. I, I'm glad she has a has a day. You know, I think a lot of people deserve a day. Hey, look, is there someone in your community who elevates people around them? If so, celebrate them like others celebrate the chicken lady. Hell yeah! I mean, I know they blew up the chicken man in Philly last night, but I didn't. I didn't know there was a chicken lady. Maybe she avenged the shit. That's that's a lyric from Bruce Springsteen song. <laughs> Anyways, my name is Jack O'Brien, aka Jack to the Maximum. I am asking him, would you like to bounce with a father that's jacking him? <laughs> that is courtesy of Suburban Panic Attack, and I am thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. Miles Gray. Democrats took another L, so will they blame progressives this time? <laughs> Not sure. Not sure. But we shall see. A lot of yeah. interesting takes already coming out mm. of that. Mm. I think they will. If I safe money is on, yes, they will. Of course. I mean, they have to. It's, there's no other way. Because otherwise, they would have to arrive at the conclusion Look that the they're mirror. falling terribly short of everything and then yes. do something. So it has to be the progressives. Yes. Could it be me that's wrong? No, 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 it's, no, honey, it's no, the no, children. No, Nan- it's hey, got to hey, be hey. the children. <laughs> hey, don't, hey, don't, no, Nancy, don't think that. Blame the young, blame the young people with their little Green New Deal or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, Miles, we're thrilled to be joined in our third seat by a very talented TV writer, podcast host, and producer, comedian, and essayist. She's a Los Angeles-based stand-up comedian. I'm sorry, that's a lot of jobs. <laughs> like, whoa, bitch, slow down. <laughs> she co-created and produces and co-hosts the brilliant podcast private parts unknown comedy sex travel podcast and is the lead producer of the bellas podcast her essays and writing have been published in little small uh, outlets such as the washington post the la times bustle hello giggles she's written for amazon's emmy winning animated series danger and eggs please welcome the hilarious the talented Courtney Kozak! Hello. What up? Thank you for reading my whole website. Yeah, yeah. So we do. That's what we do here. And now, and also, gallery about me and at... (laughs) Just like reading strictly the head navigation of the website. (laughs) What's new? What's new, Courtney? Not much, fellas. It's been a long pandemic, but Mm re-emerging. Just was in New York. Other than that, I've been working at my house. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how is New York? What's yeah. what's good? What's New happening? York felt really normal. I was there in September, and then again in October, and I was like, "Oh yeah, you can just check Vax cards, and uh, everything else felt good." So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Nice. I feel like ma- mask adoption is pretty strong in New York City. In my yeah, because of the subway, you can't get on the subway, right? Unless yeah. you're wearing your mask. So, so I feel like that right yeah. frame of mind. All right. Well, Courtney, we're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell our listeners just a couple of the things that we're talking about today. The Democrats. Mm-hmm. The Democrats. That's who we're talking about. They failed to win in Virginia, but they succeeded in defeating a socialist mayor in Buffalo with a literal rubber stamp campaign. So we're just going to talk about the state of the Democratic Party, the state of progressivism. I am going to vent and and get you guys' thoughts on where we're at, <laughs> uh, where we're headed. We will talk about some some things that we learned that aren't necessarily the worst, like that critical race theory fears weren't that potent in most of the country. And some nice news, some some wins for the city of Boston and Cincinnati. We will talk about, you know, the defend the or defund the police movement. The defend the police Uh movement is getting more popular, but the defund the police movement seems to be losing popularity. It lost a yes, no vote in Minneapolis. 
So we're going to talk about where we head from here. We're going to talk about Americans' food delivery habits, America's favorite Thanksgiving sides, all of that, plenty more. But first, Courtney, we do like to ask our guest, what is something from your search history? Okay, so I looked up Philip Rodriguez last night to share a contact with someone, and he's a documentarian, and he does a lot of stuff on Latinx culture. And he was so nice. I randomly met him at a bar, and he just, like, gave me advice, half-drunken advice for, like, an hour. <laughs> I was like, this guy is so nice. So shout out, Philip. And then before that, I looked up an actress's plastic surgery. So <laughs> one good, one bad. The duality of man. Yeah. 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 Shout out to this documentarian and also excellent. Wait, you're trying to find did before she or after? didn't she? Or, oh, so you were suspecting or you're looking for a, you were looking for an answer whether or not I, something had been. Yeah, I suspected. And I feel like this woman's gone through a number of transformations. So, mm. but. I'm not mm. here to police women's faces. <laughs> no, but just for your own curiosity, you're like, I want to make sure my skills of observation are yes. right. correct. Because I feel like something has shifted. For right. sure. I yeah. pride myself in my ability to detect small shifts like that. <laughs> right, right, right. Mm. <laughs> like, does is that a thing the face can naturally do on its own? I like as, don't think as so. One ages, but. <laughs> Forehead get tighter with age. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Wrinkles evaporate. <laughs> yeah. So you you've been able to kind of spot these small disturbances in the face. Yeah. In the, Sophia's. In the yeah, I I usually am like turning Sophia onto it. This is I'm terrible. This is <laughs> this is <laughs> private. <laughs> That's funny because Sophia. You're talking about Sophia Alexandra, who I do 420 Day Fiance with. There's a there's a cast member there where people are hotly debating, like, what is happening to this person's face, whether it's plastic surgery or not, or just right. less stress or weight loss. And it's just like one of I, I get the energy around that. And she's been very like, she's like trying to send me before and after. She's like, oh, I don't know. I'm trying to. <laughs> Mm. It might not be. It just might not be. People's faces. It's one change. of our guilty pleasures. <laughs> yeah. It's a great, great parlor trick to be able to call it out to right no except for that one time Demi Moore remember when she came out with her with her new face right before she got with Ashton and people were like what the fuck is this hey right. that like, was is she in a time machine superior work right yeah yeah one of the greats <laughs> so that was work that wasn't just like oh you know. yeah I feel like they put a dollar amount on that oh did they nice yeah, yeah, yeah. good for her yeah it is tough to tell like because sometimes people just some people genetically age better than other right, people. Like Salma Hayek. Right. And yeah. You're like, what I the mean, fuck? <laughs> sometimes it's both, you know? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's easier to just be like, that has, like, it's harder to be like, some people will just be infinitely young looking. Right. I think that's a scarier proposition to some people than like, no, it has to be work. That has to be work. It can't just be these genetics or somehow on God mode. Right. Right. Yeah. What the fuck happened to me compared to that? Right? <laughs> yeah. What is, Courtney, something that you think is overrated? Well, so I was thinking about this and then I saw that Brian Cox <laughs> shaded Johnny Depp in his new memoir and he called him overrated. And I was like, yes, I, <laughs> I feel like apropos of nothing, he just offered that up. And so I'm going to second that. Yeah. <laughs> that the things he wrote in that were pretty amazing i think we read it on here but i do want to reread it just so <laughs> so people hear oh you guys have already discussed well no someone called the tweet out i think when it first dropped that's right yeah his his just shading a bunch of people but i think specifically this quote really seemed to be a incisive observation brian cox in his new book says i mean edward scissorhands let's face it if you come on with hands like that and pale, scarred face makeup, you don't have to do anything. And he didn't. And subsequently, <laughs> he's done even less, which is a strike. I think that's a pretty, pretty strong uh, takedown of w the start of his career. I would say that his Captain Jack Sparrow performance is definitely not him doing nothing. It's him doing, he's doing he's the doing most. He's doing a lot. Right. Right, he's just doing a Keith Richards impression. 
Right. I just love, too, that I in reading the quotes from Brian Cox, I could, like, hear him yeah. say yeah. them. Like, it should have fuck <laughs> off at the end of every, like, a Fuck time. off. Yeah. yeah. I love, did you see the one? He I was talking shit about Steven Seagal, too. That was great. He radiates oh, a studied serenity as though he's on a higher plane to the rest of us. And while he's certainly on a different plane, no doubt about that, it's probably not a higher one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I The the stories about Steven Seagal behind the scenes are pre- truly amazing. Just somebody who left the planet the second they got even a modicum of success and fame and has been operating in a different universe ever since in a, right. in a way that is destructive to the people around him and just reality in general. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Steven. Steven. Ah, Steven. Ah, Steven. What is something that you think is underrated? This is so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to do a shout out to Joan Four is this 80 something year old woman we had on our podcast. She has she wrote a book over the pandemic. It's called My Heart's Journey. And it's about her riding on a motor scooter across Europe in 1964. And it's so cute. And here's the weird thing about it. Is like it illustrates how rapey the culture used to be. It's like Mm. she's constantly Mm. being chased down by men (laughs) or like being groped or like just there's all kinds of just subtle things in there where you're like, oh, my God. Right. We've made a little bit of progress. But anyway, other than that, a heartwarming book. I sent it to my grandma. <laughs> this And wait, did she write it like it's like a retrospective? Like she wrote yeah. it in her 80s? She wrote it like, rec- you know, in the last couple of years. She got wow. bored during the pandemic and she wrote about this like amazing adventure she went on. And it was really amazing because that's scary. I wouldn't do that get in a motor scooter by myself and go across Europe 60s across Europe mm. no that's, that's a challenge wait yeah. so not safe is the is the book like blowing up like is she just like she's no no, got no. nobody knows win. about it that's why she's oh, underrated shit. okay okay I like that <laughs> so if you are interested in a story about the 60s or the story that was written by an 80 something year old woman or prior rapey culture yeah it's a good book for you Wow. F-O-O-R. Yeah. The like up until the the 70s had a like there there's all these like very mainstream cultural artifacts from the late 70s and early 80s that are basic like blatant acts of pedophilia. Like there there are (laughs) like I think it was Brooke Shields was like a sex symbol as a like child and like Blue Lagoon. Yeah, there was this makeup or perfume ad that I commented on in my old crack show, The Spit Take. But it was like a woman dressed up as like a, you know, child and in this thing. And she was like licking a lollipop. And she was like, and the the ad said, nothing sexier than a baby. And then (laughs) that that was just the ad. And I, I feel like when you go back and watch 80s movies and you have these like, male characters being like well you know it's the 80s women liberation like that's what they're lamenting that's what that's what's being lost in their in their opinion is their ability to just determine every all sexual mores it was consensual groping like yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) ah she didn't mind yeah (laughs) what and also determine whether mustaches were cool or not. I feel like that was a thing that was lost at the end of the 70s and into the 80s. Things we lost. Yeah. Big mustache. Big mustache America. Let's let's keep mustaches. We can get rid of the rapey. Yeah. There you go. Are you a fan of mustaches? I, you know, they can be hot. Yeah. Oh, okay. Here and there. Well, you know, uh, check back on our Movember stashes. Uh, <laughs> I'm mine, excited about mine it. might not be fully grown in until December 14th, <laughs> but I am trying day by day. I yeah. like that it might be like a wire Brillo pad kind of yeah, situation. Yeah, no, it will be. It's, it's going to be a cause for concern more than a stash, I think, but we'll see. 
And mine is going to make me look like your stepdad. Uh, You think it's going to mess your kids up? uh, Yeah, it will. It'll fuck them up. My wife, as I've talked about, has asked me to move out of the house while I grow (laughs) it. It's going to be a real uh, upending of my life. And you just become a different guy. I do. I look like a one because I I did this in college and just looked like I was a 45 year old stepdad. And that was before I was, you know, in my 40s. So I, <laughs> I can't God picture it. I'm excited. <laughs> it's it's very Tune strong in. and not not great. It's not great. <laughs> but we are going to be right back and talk about some news. And we're back and what was being billed as the biggest election since Biden defeated Trump happened last night in Virginia. And, you know, the Republican, even though Biden defeated Trump by 10 points there, a Republican came through and defeated the Democratic incumbent. And, you know, we've talked in the past couple episodes about how this is being covered in the mainstream that like this this is the hope for the Republican Party that they can take the parts of Trumpism that are helpful, discard the toxic parts and win a bunch of seats in the midterm. And that seems to have borne out, right? Yeah. I I think one thing to just keep in mind is like if you look statistically at Virginia in like since the 70s. There's only been one time a Democrat has won the presidency and then the the governor's house didn't flip. So, right. This is pretty much a pat like this is just a general pattern. Right. I think especially like, you know, one in 11 that that feels like a this, this was going to be a pretty hard fought thing. But yeah, uh, I don't I mean, there's there there's a lot of work being done in Virginia to not have like a a real policy for McAuliffe to like run on more than being like. Youngkin's a Republican, though. Right. So, and like Trump endorsed him, and we're going to buy a bunch of ads with the Youngkin's name on it, just trying to be like, yeah, so Trump loves him. So, McAuliffe. Yeah. Anything else? (laughs) And then in Buffalo, the Democratic primary earlier this year, the Democratic Socialist India Walton defeated the incumbent mayor, Byron Brown. And so, that was unacceptable to the establishment. And so they started distributing stamps with his name on them for people to put in the in the write-in part so that there would be no like spelling errors and just to make it super easy, which seems like the sort of thing that you wouldn't get away with if you were not the incumbent and had been in power for four terms. But they did get away with, uh, it seems like they pulled it off. And so the Democrats are successfully defeating socialists, not successfully defeating Republicans. And this just kind of sent me down a spiral of, I think Democrats would rather lose to a Republican than a socialist at this point. It seems like because their entire identity is defining themselves in opposition to the Republican Party, and socialism kind of throws everything out of whack because it forces them to answer questions about why they don't normally do things for their constituents. And so they are willing to, you know, get very creative. And in the case of the Buffalo mayoral race, you know, bring in a bunch of Republicans to to vote for their candidate in order to defeat the Democratic Socialist. They, they think that a lot of the votes for the incumbent were Republicans who just came in because socialism evil. And yeah, I it's it just makes me wonder, you know, as we're seeing the results in uh, in the Biden administration of a Democratic Party that is just defines itself in opposition to Republicans, but doesn't really stand for anything like it seems like more and more there it's becoming clear that there is a absolute need for another answer that's not the democratic party but i don't yeah. know well i think a lot of the discourse afterwards is it's never going to question the party or 
the manner, the way the the government is set up or the system that that we have. It's like, what happened? I mean, what happened with progressives? Or like, wow, white women really <laughs> swung this thing for Youngkin in uh in the in the governor's race, rather than holy shit. I mean, because again, it it involves a party completely self owning by being like, man, we totally fucked up. We we promise shit and we don't deliver. Uh, we have a very inconsistent platform. We also have some of like the least compelling people leading the party that really doesn't move the needle for younger people who are living in a pretty much like antithetical lived reality than the one leaders think they're in. Yeah. So there's like a huge issue, like in terms of just even like what the, cause like the face of the democratic party is Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden. Right. That's, you know, and to think that they can just kind of keep coming back to this and people go, Oh, like the, the, the speaker goat is back. Like that, that doesn't energize anyone at all or anymore. I mean, maybe it did when they took the house like in 2006 or whatever it was when Bush was in office. But at this point, they're completely out of ideas and don't know how to speak to people and are still wondering what the problem is. And I think that's what's really alarming. It's like they're, they just they're, I think slowly and slowly I'm like, yeah, we don't get it. We don't get it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, a lot of the responses I'm seeing are, you know, blaming, like you were saying, like white women in Virginia for voting against their best interests. And I don't know, I like I think the missing ingredient that I hadn't fully been taking into account until like paying as much attention as we have been while doing this show for the past four years is and especially the past year when you have a Democrat in power and also during the election when there was a Democratic socialist candidate that like the mainstream media is really like part of the whole system that makes it impossible for there ever to be an alternative yes to the Dem- the big D democratic party yeah and you're just you know they treated the black lives matter protest the genuine like aggrievement and energy and grief those coming from a nation and that is being murdered with impunity as like a radical movement that they're claiming scared people away and not acknowledging that that's because of the unfair coverage where, you know, local news and even the New York Times is portraying it as, you know, radical and leading to more murders. And and then also like the way that the mainstream media like focuses on the small like culture war things about like TV shows removing blackface characters. I just feel I feel like when you look at like if you just take a collage of all the New York Times's coverage of the Black Lives Matter movement since George Floyd was murdered, you would like get this melange of like radical protests that are that like ultimately are about like things that are impossible to achieve and that like lead to a higher murder rate and right. it's just like like <laughs> i and then and then you know just the way that they cover socialism is also just a complete disingenuous fuck job yeah it i'm i mean this is also just just beyond the media too the pattern of oh scary people of color yeah that's just a fucking tactic that works all yeah. the time in this country unfortunately like you know there's just as you know especially with looking at how the blm coverage works it's it's too if again it's because all these things force reckonings and we're the country that cannot have to reckon with anything ever at all so you know we're at this point too where like the we're clearly at the end stage here of the the most this two-party system can do the wheels are coming off. People need support. And the government, even with a party in power of everything, still can't do it. It's just like, because there's all these blocks, too, without understanding. It's like, oh, do we really need to have a fundamental reconfiguration or renegotiation with how we see people's health care or how we see people's education or right to a domicile or shelter? And that just it's some it's a conversation that's just too difficult for the established powers. So. Mm. (laughs) I don't know if this is going to be, you know, like I think a lot of optimistic Democrat pundits are like, hey, man, this could be this 
now they're seeing what's going on. Now the Democratic leadership is going to see what's going on. And now they're going to really do stuff. They're going to they'll figure it out. That's the good part of this is they can figure it out. I'm like, uh, really? Because it's been a lot of opportunities and we, I haven't seen anything like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have a couple of years with Obama having won a, you know, massive like what what today qualifies as like a landslide victory to win the presidency, having both houses of Congress and, you know, the most he was able to get through was an Obamacare bill that was basically written by health insurance companies. And now we have Biden with both houses and unable to do anything. And it's just it seems like the the Democrats are willing to fight for their ability to stay in power and then do nothing like that seems to be what is ultimately their goal what regardless of what they say like stay in power don't change anything just keep the status quo well and i think people just need to understand like really the larger point too is like the like the thing that is going to solve things is like the poison of the established powers now Right. So they're just in this impossible situation where they'll they can't embrace the thing that would spell their demise or their plat their platform's demise. And I think that's and that's all we're watching where they're like they're unable to connect the dots because then they'd have to be like, oh, we suck. We can't do this. (laughs) Right. You know, so instead of like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man, paid family leave, man. Yeah. Two years of community college tuition free, baby. We got this fifteen dollar minimum wage now to. Biden is pulls back on this. Biden pulls back on this. Biden pulls back on this. Right. Because, wow, they it's easy to say that. And then you're like, OK, so to do that, we have to kind of fundamentally change some things about the tax code and uh, ta- some taxation elements. Also, where our empathy goes, because it can no longer go to business owners and the people who are benefactors in terms of donations. So I think that has to be more of the norm that people sort of need to at a baseline need to understand rather than getting into like the back and forth, like, well, the Democrats or Republicans are the messaging. It's no, we're at a point in societally, we're at a point where we need major change, but we have people there that are completely, they're unable to change their operating system and it's incompatible with them. So I think the surprise has to end at a certain point and people have to really like the larger discussion about, is this the right thing at all? And how can we change that? Or what do we need to do as citizens to figure out how we can ensure these things or exert the proper influence to get people to, you know, come to the table to bring better outcomes for, you know, just general Americans? Yeah, I think climate's going to move the needle, I think, the most. Right. Because all these other things are things that we can ignore to a certain extent or like just put off nobody having insurance or put off minimum wage hikes or put off whatever. But when it's like, oh, we're having all these, you know, severe weather events or, you know, all these other negative outcomes, I feel like that is going to force the revolution needle a little bit more. It's the closest to the for those reasons, for sure, because it's tangible and it's very difficult to act like it's not some fantasy ghost concept that just like half the country believes in. But then you look at what's happening in Glasgow right now with the sort of deals being made around climate change. And you're like, (laughs) God, they don't fucking get it. No, (laughs) I know. And again, because this is this just like any just like our problems here or just as it relates to global warming, the people that are there to make the decisions, the the answer to the question spells the demise of the power structure that they've benefited from. Right. So there's it's that's just the absurdity of how leadership is running globally at the moment, because like, again, with all the talk of like late stage capitalism and where we're at, it's like, yeah, the the momentum of all the good parts has compl- is worn off at this point. We're no longer coasting like we did in decades previous from like the little bit of improvements that were made to make things slightly more equitable for some people. But now, because it's been the same thing, like, how can we extract the most with giving back the least? You know, it's it's only creating this uneasiness across the country and the world where many people are starting to feel like, what the fuck? like, if you're not informed, it just everything just feels like general unease and instability. But 
again, we're at a, at a crossroads and we're refusing it's a crossroads. And the people who genuinely have, have all the power in this country, given like in the current system, are able to insulate themselves from the you know devastation of climate change because it is a problem that mostly affects poor people that aren't able to buy a island in New Zealand to go like weather the apocalypse on. Yeah, or even just have like the you know, the assets to say like, you know what, we're going to move. We're leaving this place. Pack your stuff up. We'll put yeah. the rest in storage. And now we live in this country. Yeah, that's I think that's short sighted, though. Like, I think that's going to catch up with people because it's not. It's so funny. I was at dinner with someone and he was like, oh, we're <laughs> it was horrible. How he was saying it? But he was like, we're in that bracket, right? Like, we're we're going to be able to escape it and i was like you are like mm. a tv writer you can <laughs> you know like you're you can't outrun this thing there's not like it's gonna have a societal cost that you're yeah. gonna wind up paying even if it's gonna be like a tax that you could pay now and it could be less or you could pay it later and you're still gonna have to pay it because you'll have to pay for your share in society crumbling <laughs> basically right. to some extent no. Yeah. And I I think because like that mentality has been the way most people have been able to avoid the worst of like leadership or whatever is like, well, that affects a certain socioeconomic bracket. Even if that's happening, there's a way for me to keep myself safe. And like, yeah, that thinking will take its place into the climate change discussion. But I think, yeah, like you're saying, people don't dis really are have a will have a rude awakening as, you know, more weather disruptions that's that has been affect, affecting the supply chain even right now right sure. exactly it's all those little things yeah and i think when things get to the point where you have massive movements of people to who are trying to escape things you're not gonna have i mean unless you're quite literally being like well i have jets and shit like it doesn't even fucking matter that okay right. maybe to you god bless you but for everyone else you will realize that this is a larger question that we're going to have to answer because the a climate war will kick off when you have a group of people who are saying, I no longer live on a viable piece of land. I will die if I live here. So the only choice I have is to physically relocate. And then you're going to have people saying, well, we can't come here because we only got this much and we can't come here because we only got this much. We'll have to completely rethink what it means to live on this planet, whether it's like saying, well, you know what? We all need to pitch into a global thing to say, well, now if we have to relocate 5 million people from here, here's this massive global fund to say, okay, that's fine. Let's help build the infrastructure or house these people or feed them or clothe them and bring that out of everyone's pockets rather than see. But what we're seeing now is draw the fucking castle doors up and try and say, no, I can't get in here. Yeah. Which is only going to like, and that's where the real chaos is going to come. But that's where the... I. I'm not saying that nothing's going to change. I'm just saying as America exists right now, that's where the institutional momentum is, is like that company corporations and the extremely wealthy determine policy. Mm -hmm. And it's going to get real for them way later than it's going to get real for the rest of us. And I don't like I do want to raise the idea of, you know, a third party has always been something I've just rejected out of hand because I live in America and I realize like how absurd that sounds to most people. The idea of, you know, having a third party, but like something about this past year and Tuesday night's election has just like broken something in me. Like, I don't know. It just seems like the need for a unified and powerful, like democratic socialist movement that actually like takes the plight of poor people the plight of people of color the uncompromising climate policy like seriously and like proposes policy that addresses it like seems i don't know what like it, it's just become so clear that when we let the ideas like like defunding the police replacing the police or supplementing the police with alternatives that aren't scared armed white guys like running into mental health crises or like you know the green new deal or any socialist ideals like when those get laundered in 
the Democratic Party and the centrist media, they by design get defanged. They get turned into versions of, of themselves that are unappealing. They get shit on in like the coverage and in like the results that get communicated to us. And it just seems like that the system is more designed to protect against anything like that happening, anything like socialism happening in America than it is to protect against like a authoritarian white supremacist administration coming to power and harming people like that. That seems to be the lesser of two evils as far as the Democratic Party and the, you know, mainstream centrist media is concerned. Yeah. Well, it's always going to co-opt the language of the left, you know, right. To just say like, because they did. They did say all those things. Right. They just didn't do it. They just didn't actually take didn't it seriously. Do anything they said it. they'd take it seriously, but they don't actually take it seriously. And I think that's the allure or the like intoxicating appeal sometimes of democratic policies is that it it will put the, the sandwich board out saying, hey, today we are going to take these things seriously. And it, on the other side, it says, psych. Right. And, we're, and again, then that's why I feel like slowly, like you're saying, you're now you're, you've come to a point where you're saying, I feel like I've been taken advantage of many <laughs> times over or like this thing's like useless. People, everyone arrives at that moment at a different time. And I think that's what's hard is trying to figure out, you know, the, the, the best way to begin to exercise that, that power in terms of like a pronounced or defined group of people who are sort of all moving in that direction. And I think it'll be t- it'll be hard because I think just like there there also isn't a, as, as a robust media apparatus for leftist or progressive politics that aren't like on the fringes. You right. know, there's 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 definitely a, a place for Democrats and Republicans to talk and say they're unfiltered give their unfiltered thoughts. But where is that for people left of that? Yeah. And I think that's also a huge problem because most people just don't have the opportunity to hear something like that either. Right. I mean, it does seem like the the fact that there is a generation that is more open to socialism than any past generation that understands media better than any of the people in existing places like at the you know, New York Times, like that, that there's something that could be done. I, I just like I don't the the current system just like doesn't is, is never going to let anything happen. And we need something to happen. And the Republican Party was like founded in 1854 as like a radical, like abolitionist party. And it like you know, started winning states pretty quickly in the presidential election, but it was, you know, seen as a fringe party until Abraham Lincoln, like, actually, like, won the fucking White House. And, like, that's, it's a thing that can happen if you're facing, like, a shifting reality. And we are facing a absolutely shifting reality and a crisis more than I think we have in the past hundred years, really. And I, I just, think like the time has got like there there is the need for it and just kind of assuming that it can't be done because it hasn't been done in the past hundred years is is kind of no longer an option maybe it's like the perfect storm with like tiktok and you know a decentralization of how people get their news in a certain way like could propel a third party i don't know yeah well let's dream about it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the face of the electorate is changing and the attitudes are, I think we're just we're in an interesting middle period where there hasn't reached a tipping point numerically for enough people. But also you have a lot of people who are turned off by politics, too, yeah. because it's just like, you know, if you if you don't really if you're not as engaged, you're going to be like, yeah, what they're going to say, they're going to raise minimum wage. All right. They didn't. Like, what's the right. point? Yeah. And for so there's 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 many issues and uh, just you know but yeah it, i i'm optimistic because as you know you're pointing out courtney like younger people definitely are have their eye on it way more than i i feel like we did at their age because mm-hmm. we we had a relative period of seemingly okay stability 
Whereas right. if you're born in like after 2000, you've only seen like recession after recession and you're like, what the fuck is this place? Right. Right. Yeah. There were some, you know, silver linings in the shit storm that was election night. For instance, we critical race theory fears weren't as potent as I think people are going to pretend they were. Yeah. In in a lot of the mainstream, you know, like right outside of D.C., they had some Loudoun County had some really wild school board meetings and protests. And yet the Democratic candidate won that district by double digits when, you know, the, the Republican candidate was like running on the ability to not allow people to read Toni Morrison. Right. Yeah. When that was the other thing Youngkin did well was he 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 wore whatever mask in front of whatever audience that he had to. Right. It, he didn't have to be consistent. He'd be like, yeah, man, we got to we got to get these pedophiles to stop drinking adrenochrome to one crew and be like, I really think that comprehensive immigration reform is necessary. So, you know, what I mean, like it was truly yeah. just this funhouse mirror candidacy. But yeah, like you're saying, that wasn't, you know, Loudoun County. OK, it wasn't as pronounced of a win. There were some wins, though, like in South Lake, Texas, home of uh, Holocaust, both sides are Right. They took some seats there and also in a Kansas City suburb. There were some wins. But then there are also some like pronounced defeats like in Connecticut, Guilford, Connecticut, that has had also some wild anti-critical race theory school board protests. The anti-CRT candidates got shut out of their attempts to get on the school board there. And in like Iowa, there were some right wing candidates on this slate. They called they called the Wolves and Warriors United all defeated. <laughs> All day. Damn! Thank God. Yeah, I, I, mean, I like wonder if that's a. I wonder if that's based on the guy who goes around speaking to police forces about why they should feel okay about shooting people. Oh, warrior mentality. Yeah, the warrior mentality, and like he specifically like bases his instruction around a there are wolves and there are sheeps and right. all these people criticizing you are sheeps, but you guys are the wolves and you got right. like, well, who better to leave your young children with than a right. loose collective of wolves and warriors. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I had that wrong. It's he's the, they are the sheepdogs and uh, the wolves are the bad guys. So, Oh, oh, oh. I don't, I don't want to misquote him because he yeah, has some yeah, really please. interesting things. To say. Yeah. He's, he's already got his back <laughs> against the wall right now. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, there is a lot to say that, you know, I think a lot of people were looking heavily into that. Republicans, like in those areas where they did win, they're being like, you see, you see, that was, that was, we did it with that. But again, I think a lot of the mood is just sort of the, just the lack of delivery on all things promised to people who voted for this administration. And also just an utter, it seemed like, you know, I was reading some anecdotal stuff like on Twitter from people who were like involved in some elections saying that in the gubernatorial one, especially like there wasn't as much investment like in their ground game as there was for Yunkin too. And there was a lot of like just kind of relying on the base to kind of do their thing. But at the end of the day, all it, everything's moot if no one is talking about the real problems. Right. Because then this is just all a fucking smoke show and not the hot kind. They did have to invest in all those rubber stamps up in Buffalo, so they couldn't exactly afford a robust ground game in Virginia. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Boston and Cincinnati elected their first Asian-American mayors in Michelle Wu and Aftab Puribal, and both, you know, could be rising stars. I do worry about, like, continuing on a path where charismatic candidates, we put all our hopes in them, even though they're, like, part of a system that doesn't want anything to happen but you know michelle Wu in particular has like some cool things to say about what she's gonna do so hey free pu public transit you know yeah uh, like a few other policies i mean yeah and, and not just those mayoral elections like in tucson <laughs> arizona where their senator kirsten cinema was said no to 15 dollar minimum wage in tucson the city was like they, they voted for a 15 dollar minimum wage cool great yeah. Just doing the bare minimum, I think, as it relates to what a minimum wage should even be, because I think as we're if we're being realistic, it should be like, well, like maybe fucking thirty dollars. Right. And Pittsburgh, Ed Ganey became Pittsburgh's first black mayor. I mean, there's there are little victories here and there. But I think for now, most of the punditry is around just creating like the doom Democrat. Democrats are fucked. 
thing and yeah go go off mainstream go off Mm -hmm. don't criticize the don't let's not talk about the problems that might uh, actually motivate someone to move in a certain direction just go like what went wrong with that guy Mm -hmm. was he too dull and boring and not appealing enough i don't know just take the logic from your sports section and bring it over to the election and uh, talk about like wins and losses and misses. Uh, that was a that was a clear own goal there that they really should have, you know, guarded against. And, yeah. And don't don't bring any class awareness into it, please. For the love of God. <laughs> what? Class? What are you talking about? Like going to going to class in school? Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Yeah, I got class, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm a classy motherfucker. Okay? I wear socks when I fuck. <laughs> Why is that classy? Just a very odd person. I'm just envisioning. <laughs> and you're like, dude, what? <laughs> There's silk. Yeah, there's silk. I have the sock garters. The sock garters on? Yeah. yeah. Don't tell me I don't have class. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back, and I'm still picturing the guy. The guy with the sock garters? The sock garters claiming that that's Do you classic. know anybody who wears socks? Is that a thing still? That That's just a purely, like, old-school idea of, like, what men's business so. where it was, right? I, th- I think they still exist. They still exist. For, you know, sex but workers, like, people newly married. Well, I, I get, like... I, I get like, gar- but sock garters for your socks. Like businessman sock garters. Yeah. Oh. Like, like, do you remember like Ren and Stimpy? That was the first time I saw sock garters was like on a character whose feet would just come into the frame. And I was like, what the fuck? This, what the fuck is that guy wearing? I never um, see a man in a suit. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so I guess shout out <laughs> sock garters. Still anyway, out where, here, where still available on Amazon. A men's sock garter belt adjustable two-pack sturdy clip suspenders for your socks so you know they're, they're still out here and you know what i wear them okay i'm gonna come out i, I wear sock okay. garters and they're fine, fine. They're I, cool. I keep saying jack they make socks with elastic on the top now so you don't need them <laughs> yeah no i like <laughs> i like my uh socks to be straight leg like uh je- straight leg jeans <laughs> just straight up and they they're just like a walk <laughs> it's like having a hula hoop around each calf you know <laughs> All right, let's talk about Americans' food delivery habits. I, I think this is just always interesting whenever, look, we're not, we're not great admirers of Uber Eats, but uh, let's be real, a lot of people are getting their food from different food delivery services. And the data that they've released that Takeout published is there's, some, there's just some interesting things in there that like, that's always revealing when any company has this much data to like go through. I just right. want to say, first of all, that they're saying there was a over 1,200% increase since the before times of people ordering cheese fries. Not sure what that's saying about anything, aside from I can't think of a dish that is going to show up like less satisfying than it ever could have I than can't. fucking cheese fries. I'm so confused by the... Yeah, there, there's another fry-centric data point here, and mm-hmm. they are the worst, the worst it's, things to what, get you know, delivered. What you're referencing is the most ordered item is French fries. Now, this is my question. Is this by default? Because if you're going to order some other things, you're like, yeah, man, just get an order of fries or something. Right? Or to or get into a- the minimum, sometimes you have to, you know, get something else. Oh, mm. just to hit the mini? Okay, I see that too. Because I'm also thinking uh, fries don't travel well. It's only happened in a couple places where, like, it, like where you can tell the people working there, like, no. You need a ventilated <laughs> container to put it in so the steam can escape and not just completely neutralize the crispiness from the frying. Right. Uh, I don't know. Then there's also really something interesting. They said, like, the most polite states, like, in terms of people who would use please and thank you most in their instructions to the platform were Montana, Vermont, Oregon, Idaho, and Washington. I'm, but they're doing that know. in lieu of tipping, correct? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A middle finger emoji and the words, thank you. <laughs> and then they also said that the customers in Asheville, North Carolina, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the Florida Keys, the most generous tippers. Now, that's who I care about. That's what, shout out to those three locations. Yeah. 
The Florida Keys. Yeah. yeah. Is that because people? Is that because it's not? You can't be like broke and live in the Florida Keys. It also might just be a. Uh, it's probably that, but there's a lot of rich people everywhere. It also might just be a enormous pain in the ass for them to get the food. Like from oh yeah, a restaurant in the swamps and, and shit. Yeah, well, there's like one way in and out. So like you know, oh, I'd imagine. Like they're like, lives? dude, you had to yeah. take a ferry. Here's a little bit <laughs> yeah, extra, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, here's an extra nickel. Just show up what? on a fan boat out back with your order of cheese fries. <laughs> then they said, uh, in like pickiest states in terms of people with like the most intensive instruct special instructions: Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, and Georgia. While the least picky were in West Virginia, Delaware, Utah, South Dakota, and Missouri. Hardly okay. ever any special instructions from those people. Yeah. I, I would just say to them, you can add special instructions. That's something that I often felt weird about in the past, but I mean, it's fine, right? They'll, they'll get them like a third of the time. Yeah, it's worth a punt. That's why you just got to be polite whenever I've yeah. had ever special instructions, which brings me to this next section where they were putting together like really polite or interesting instructions. And this one spoke to my heart as a spicy food eater who food is never spicy enough for him. This person and their special instructions, they didn't say what restaurant, but they just said this quote, let's give this a try tonight, please. I like hot and spicy two exclamation points. Make me cry, cry emoji and hot face cry emoji. Hot. Please make me hurt. Make extra, extra, extra burning, super, super hot and spicy. Six flame emoji. Make it so spicy you would not even eat. So spicy. <laughs> and, I'm you know, aroused. I, I felt that. For sure. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> make me hot. hurt. Make me cry. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Yes, okay. daddy. I'm like, what are you ordering? <laughs> to like bananas. Right. What? Indeed. What? Yeah. Or they're trying to murder somebody like in Dumb and Dumber. You know. Oh, why don't you have a tiny bite of your <laughs> burger? Have a bite about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My ulcer. The the most ordered things being French fries. A mott sticks are on there, which another thing that is usually not good. I I just have to like people. Uh, American restaurants, all restaurants need to like go do a ride along for a day at a Korean restaurant. Korean restaurants somehow manage to make like let the food stay so hot when it arrives. They they do such a great job with that. Everybody. And it's needs not because to, you live near Koreatown. I mean, it could be, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like it only travels like a mile. <laughs> they should try that. What are they doing? What's the secret Korean restaurants? <laughs> but it's not like it gets here quickly. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe right. it is. Maybe it is just a, a matter of distance. But I, I, they've, they've figured something out. Look, and look, I get mozzarella. Sometimes you just want hurt. Yeah. You know? But you want to eat a, just a fucking police baton that's been deep fried. <laughs> oh, my God. That hurt my stomach. <laughs> so sometimes you get the like when it's like the when they get real bad, you're like, oh my god, it's returned to its string cheese state. Yeah, just in a nice breading. Eh, okay. Yeah, bearded string cheese. It's not great. <laughs> Can we get to these Thanksgiving sides? Yeah, we should get to the Thanksgiving sides. I would just say one one thing in defense of Mott Sticks is you can put them in the microwave and they'll be okay. Whereas fries, that, that doesn't work. No, toaster oven, I can kind of, if they're thick enough, you can kind of bring fries back to life in a toaster. Ooh, and also uh, air fryer. That might be what's happening, the rise of the air fryer. People are realizing you can Holy just shit. put a stack. Fries, you can feed your dog Mott Sticks. Probably don't want yeah. to do that. Yeah. Mm, okay. Just another point of view. Well, I don't want to upset my dog. My dog loves Mott Sticks. No, that's oh. fine. We'll always feed you Mott Sticks. Really <laughs> concerned. <laughs> and chili, right? You were saying chili and chili dogs. Chili, Mott Sticks, chili dogs, glizzies, an all glizzy <laughs> diet. You know, that's how that's how Rimby gets down. All right. Yeah. And then the, we have another food map. Yet time. another map with America's favorite fill in the blank. This yeah. time we are looking at Thanksgiving sides. I believe we have done this before in the past. I am curious if there's any carryover from from the past, but let, let's get into it. 
What what are we seeing here? What surprises us? I mean, I uh, it seems like more than anything, baked potato or mashed potatoes seem to be the, one of the most popular things just across the board. What is really interesting to me that in Missouri and in Minnesota, the two big sides are charcuterie tray. Aren't you I from don't Minnesota? Think that's true. Courtney? I am, and I was like. Are people looking up things they don't know how to make <laughs> or right. things they don't know what it means? Right. It's actually the <laughs> stupidest, the stupidest states because like people in California are like mashed potatoes. How do I do that? Right. <laughs> I mean, but I've never seen a charcuterie tray at a Thanksgiving my entire time in Minnesota, I don't think. Right. I've Maybe seen, that's family I specific. I see like little finger foods, right? I've been to people's houses where like, They'll do like some little stuffed mushrooms or Is like little things to nibble tray? on to get you through to, to the main event. I like a very uh, that's when I've been to like a very considerate person. When I say considerate to people who show up high as shit and are very hungry already. <laughs> Those kind <laughs> no, of situations. Finger foods for sure. But like, are we talking about like cheese, cracker, right, little meat kind of shit? What are we doing? I don't see that. Yeah. Right. It could just be that they are more likely to have big like gatherings and charcuterie trays, something that's easy to Google because you don't even need like instructions. You just need a picture, basically. There's also (laughs) another thing, too, where like there's levels to it, right? Because there are people who are like, I've been to Europe. This is not charcuterie. (laughs) (laughs) And then you'll go to Ralph's and shit. And I've seen some shits like Boar's Head charcuterie tray. Mm. And it's like loose no, salami totally. and provolone. <laughs> so there's levels to it. So they could just be like, oh, yeah, meat and cheese tray. Right. But the language is elevating it. And I can know. for sure see my aunts being like, yeah, no, this <laughs> this tray of like broken crackers, that's a charcuterie tray. This fucking <laughs> No, ma'am, that's else. not. <laughs> I do want to give one piece of evidence that this map does know what the fuck they're talking about because hash brown casserole is a reigning champ in Kentucky and Tennessee. That is something that I've experienced. Shout out to Marisa, one of my longtime friends who makes that, and she is from Kentucky, and it is fucking bomb. What is it? Because that I feel like you should share it, the recipe. Yeah. Yeah. Of all the things I was looking at on here, that really caught my eye because I love that combination of words. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let, let me get off of the businessman sock garters uh, board that I was just on. <laughs> Pinterest and, board you were just Because I, I can't remember exactly what it is other than that it is fucking really good. And like I usually eat three helpings. So Cracker Barrel offers a recipe for uh, hash brown casserole. It's basically cheese and hash browns. I think she has some like bacon in there or some... It's just so good, and it's crispy and soft and hot and always, always good. This is like a hybrid, like if mac and cheese and mashed potatoes fell in love. exactly. This would be their bi-side racial baby. Right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is fantastic. Yeah, that one and then white gravy also caught my eye in, I think it was at Arkansas. Yeah. But does that just mean country gravy? I don't know. Yeah, right. I guess so. Yeah, that, that yeah. seems right. It can't be like that racist, right? Like, <laughs> white gravy. White. Fruit white salad gravy. had me kind of disappointed. Who's, like, who's going with fruit salad? North Dakota. Oh. Okay. Well. I, I, or yeah. side salad. It's like you guys, there's Idaho, a lot of other days on. in the year. You're the potato goat and you're out here Googling side salads? Yeah, there's sandwich between Oregon and another square state with baked potatoes and mashed potatoes wyoming and they got side salad come yeah what's everyone's oh and also interesting in delaware cauliflower mashed potatoes okay yeah delaware okay Okay. somebody's somebody's doing healthy what's everybody's favorite though unequivocally unequivocally i gotta say rolls (laughs) (laughs) okay okay which is a very popular answer here florida yeah i love the states are just like rolls has anybody ever seen baked potatoes as a Thanksgiving side? I don't typically no. think of that as a, as a Thanksgiving side. I feel side. like, yeah, you forgot a step. It's yeah. mashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Twice-baked potatoes I have seen, and those are really good. I, I think I'm going to go with hash brown casserole. That is, uh, And then my mom makes really good sweet potato casserole. Just, mm. just fucking drown me in casserole. There you go. Courtney. Yeah. 
I'm going to go mashed potatoes and green bean casserole. Mm. Okay. I love stuffing and gravy. Mm. I mean, just put all, just drown the stuffing and gravy. Like, I I could just eat that. I'm fucking sick. I was trying to be creative with my answer, but that might be my real answer. If just stuffing, stuffing with gravy, man. Yeah. That's my favorite because when I eat it, I leave that shit at the, it's so weird how I have like this deferred gratification strategy on eating a Thanksgiving plate when I'm like, let me get the turkey down Mm. because that's like the least interesting thing to me. Mm. And then I move to the epic sides and then I get finally for the last, the fucking, the the coup de gras, I hit the fucking, the stuffing with gravy. Oh. Now, another one that I've not seen in my experience or even seen like really depicted in media, in addition to baked potatoes, is stuffed mushrooms. But stuffed mushrooms, I'm very intrigued by. Yeah. Yeah. I've had them before, just not as a not as a Thanksgiving. Yeah. Wrong day. Right. Mm. It's a great it's a great it's a great hors d'oeuvre. I will mm. say that. Because I've had that at one of those places, like I said, a considerate, considering the high people that arrive Mm -hmm. with already a ravenous Mm -hmm. hunger who might be unemployed and didn't eat dinner the night before back in that day. That was something that I absolutely fell in love with. What is cornbread dressing? Is that just stuffing made of cornbread? Yeah, must be. That's Louisiana. Yeah. Okay. That sounds Mm. good, too. Mm. This just made me hungry and excited for Thanksgiving. Honestly, hash brown. I gang, please tweet at me. I'll, I'll, I'll tweet something. I'll, please hit me with your recipes uh, for any of these things because I'm really curious. Last time I asked for stuff on my birthday, I got some like amazing recipe ideas. If you got a hash brown casserole for someone like me who's about to venture into new uh, uncharted waters, please help me out. What's mm. the best way to do this? Well, Courtney, it's been such a pleasure having you as always. Where can people find you and follow you? So fun to be here. I am at Courtney Kosak, last name K-O-C-A-K, on everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And is there a tweet or some of the work of social media you've been enjoying? Oh, yeah. I saw something from the Zeitgang. Zeitgang union members sound off. I'm just saying that vibing with daily zeitgeist, Miles and Jack is my other love language. Solidarity, union strong, especially if followed by the Sophia <laughs> or 20 day fiance and private parts unknown. Hey, look at Holler. That. Trinity yeah, yeah. of shows. They call that the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Catholic Church. The Holy, Holy. Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> Miles, where can people find you? What is a tweet you've been enjoying? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Miles of Gray. Also, the other show, 420 Day Fiance with Sophia Alexander, where we talk 90 Day Fiance. First tweet I like is from at Wavy's World, W-R-L-D, tweeting, Bro, I hate when babies start acting brand new. Like, motherfucker, it's me. I just saw you last week, and we were best friends. Don't do this to me. (laughs) Which is interesting because you do have those moments where you're like, this baby like we're vibing and then <laughs> next time you're like right uh you're still learning object permanence that's fine next one is from folake at folake f0 l-a-k-e tweeted la be like we're gonna make a city so unwalkable you have to drive while simultaneously giving you nowhere to park if you do drive but if you find parking we will give you a ticket right <laughs> <laughs> pretty spot on and then uh miami bay tweeted i hope this email finds you face down ass up mm-hmm. absolutely that's how i'm starting that's my the emails. way we like to email yeah let's see some tweets i've been enjoying uh brow tweeting tweeted date i'm an expert in genealogy me mouthful of bread how does he fit in the lamp <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then juju bread. tweeted you changed. Bro, we were 13. Uh, oh, uh, shit. Uh, that's here. fucking real. That is absolutely That's too real. real. Especially in male relationships. Uh-huh. My God. You changed. Bro, man. what the fuck happened? I was like, I was 17 and off my <laughs> face on Xanax right. all the time. Things I, were yeah, not I, good. I can remember shit now. Yeah, right. I'm a lot different now. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post 
our episodes and our footnotes. Footnote. We link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. Miles, what song do we think people might enjoy today? Uh, I think an- another great collection of artists collaborating. This is Masego, Big Boy, okay, and, J- and Jit together on a track called Garden Party. Masego's got a great voice. Jid is a great lyricist and MC, and you know big boy. You already know Daddy Daddy Fastex, B-I-G-B-O-I. He is that same motherfucker that took them knuckles to your eye. Uh, he is also on this track, and, like, it's cool just to hear these, you know, newer artists with big boy and, like, some good forward-thinking melodic production. It kind of reminds me of a potential outcast track without Drake. So. Well, the Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for us this morning. But we're back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we will talk to y'all then. Bye. 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 Bye.